0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and today uh, we have a guest who was on the first season, as we call it, of Deep Cuts um, back when I was doing it on Instagram Live, so now he's uh, decided to brave this whole format thing again and come back on. Uh, It's Tony Bellotto. You probably know him from La Barba Cigars, and he just recently announced that he's launching a new company, uh, Bellotto Premium Cigars. So. Let's bring on our guest. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing I believe
1: well. I'm telling the last people, time.
0: <laughs> you're braving this thing again. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, the, the, the last time we uh, we did this, I believe it was in 2019, and I predicted the end of COVID would be by the end of summer. and That was three years ago.
0: Well, it was, it was, 20, it was 2020. Was it? <laughs> It was 2020, so it was like two years ago, but I think you did make that prediction, and then we laughed about it like later on. That I was like, look what happened. <laughs> you jinxed yeah. it. You extended
1: it. I did. I ruined it. I ruined it. So how have you been? I have been well, yourself?
0: I have been pretty good, pretty busy, but I say busy is a good thing these days. So
1: it, it is. It is. It was good to see you at TPE.
0: Yeah, it was good to see you, too. I was like walking around and, and there you were. And I was like, ah, oh. I was like, Tony's here. And you were telling me all about the different things that had happened that transpired between us lasting each other. And, and then and you seemed a little bit tired, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, I survived. was.
0: It, 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 you, you survived and now you look refreshed.
1: I'm, well, I'm, I'm actually on vacation currently. That's my last day. I went and visited my parents in Naples, Florida. Um, and oh, I was like, I was telling you earlier, it was uh snowing in ohio this week so it's a really good change of pace to get the sun for a little bit get a little recharge because i got a lot a big summer coming so
0: yeah we're going to talk about some of that stuff coming up uh with your company so just for those people who did not watch the 2020 show can you give us a little intro to who you are and all the different companies that you kind of uh work in and run and uh have launched because i know it's a lot
1: it is a lot um So originally I started with my father at a retail store. My dad's been a cigar premium cigar retailer for 50 years this year. It's his 50th anniversary. Um, I started at his shop selling premium cigars. Uh, along the way I fell in love with wine. It's a very long story, but I fell in love with wine and then I went to, uh, what is now it was, it was called Cleveland wine school. Now it's the American wine school. Um, for four years and became a WSET certified sommelier. I, I added a beer, a craft beer and wine program, and a bar to uh, the store that I had opened in 2005. Um, from there, um, I eventually met, well, I'd known Tom Lazuka my entire life. Tom Lazuka used to sleep on my dad's couch when he was just first starting out, and my dad and Tom had been friends forever. Tom introduced me to Robert Caldwell uh, when Robert had the Winwood Cigar Factory and kind of said, you know, this kid knows a lot about wine. He's been in the cigar business forever, but he's never really blended the cigar. Maybe there's something that you guys can do, you know, together. Uh, And then instantly Robert and I became friends. Um, He doesn't have many. Um, But yeah, instantly Robert and I became friends. I actually met Matt Booth through Tom Mazooka as well. So Tom kind of put that this trifecta of degenerates together um but so tom introduced me to robert and we started blending cigars at his factory in miami and then i had the idea to to, you know come up with my own line from what we've done what we did at winwood that was the the original la barba red Um, we moved to henderson ventura's factory in 2014 um, and that's where i developed la barba purple um, and from there, uh, from there I did, I started, um, making cigars at, at the Ventura factory. Robert distributes them through down and back. Um, and then along that way, I started a wine import company. I import a Rose Cava called Viva La Vida. Uh, it's a sparkling, dry sparkling Rose. Cause I didn't, at the time there wasn't, and I don't I don't know that there is now. Um, At the time, there was not an affordable sparkling rosé that was real and not sweet. And I thought that the market needed that because I really like to drink bubbles with cigars. Um, So that's how that business kind of started going on. Um, And then just recently in in 2017, um, uh, we started Youngstown Coffee Company. Uh, We had been buying our coffee, coffee off of a, off of a roaster that was local and he was ready to retire. And we weren't sure what we were going to do with the coffee business. So we decided to start roasting our own and that's Youngstown coffee company. And that's been going on since 2017. And that's kind of the, the short, long version of everything, if you will.
0: So so what inspired you to start all these different businesses? Because it's a lot. <laughs> Usually I people found have out one, one little business, and you have like 50 going on at one time.
1: Right. Well, I found out the, the hard way that I could do if – I, if I started a business for something that I love, then I could get it real cheap. So I get free cigars, basically. I got free wine. I get free coffee. So it's all, it's all stuff that I love doing, um, which makes it a lot easier to, to do. Uh, but yeah, every one of those businesses, I just I saw an opportunity, or you know, a niche, or somewhere where we could we could go and develop something that was that was really cool. And then when I first started uh, with my dad, and I saw his entrepreneurial spirit, that kind of um, sparked that same thing in me. And I've just been doing it ever since um, with all these different companies. So that's kind of where we ended up.
0: So before we jump into the whole cigar thing, um, let's talk about the coffee thing a little bit, because I don't know if people really understand or or know that you have this coffee thing going on because I follow it on Facebook. so I see all the little updates and it's very fun packaging, very fun, different flavors. So just tell us about that business and how you got in touch again, how you got into it and then like what you experienced with the coffee industry. Because it's completely different, I'm sure, from what we know from cigars.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's completely separate as a business, but as a um, as an as a an item, I guess, like, as a consumable good, it's very similar, right? Mm-hmm. Similar countries, very similar in in blending profile and how to blend stuff, and but the opportunity came because in my dad's in my dad's original shop. There is a there was a unit that was used originally as like a planning, uh, like where they would survey for the to build. It was the office where they built the plaza, but it was on the back of the plaza and it wasn't being used for anything. And it was about about 2000 square feet or so. And I went to the plaza, the plaza owners and I said, you know, what are you guys doing with this space? because it's not being used for anything. And she said, well, well, I'll give it to you for like 200 bucks a month. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I, I split it in half and built a private uh, members-only club for, for my dad's store on one side of it. And on the other side, we, oh, we put our, our coffee roasting room. And we started with an old 1970s Ozturk, uh manual uh, coffee roaster. Um, since then we've graduated, we can do, uh, 155 pounds at a time now, a a drop as they say, um, at a time. And it was a very, my brain doesn't retain what it used to now that I'm older. So it was a very, it was kind of difficult for me to get used to learning how to roast coffee, but I, I insisted on, on learning it manually and having all my people learn it manually so that we could graduate up to having like the computers do it and all that stuff. But I wanted to make sure that we knew how to do it. Um, the old school way. if you will. And that's why we use that old Oster coffee roaster. Um, so using that and learning how to listen for different things and uh, watch for different things while you're roasting coffee is a great experience. Um, and it's also a really good learning curve. So you know exactly what, you know, what you're doing and, and how it all works but that was a really fun experience for me. Um, we get all of our beans from, from all over the world. Um, anywhere from Indonesia, Ethiopia, Nicaragua, Honduras, uh, Brazil, I'm leaving a bunch out, but uh, Colombia, um, Tanzania, Java, Indonesia. Um, and each, each one of those beans likes a different roast profile. So, um, to, ge- to get into coffee, like kind of one on one, real quick. So when you get a green coffee bean and you put it into a roaster, the roaster is like a big dryer, right? <clears throat> it has a drum and then has a manifold underneath that heats it. So the beans go in green and they start to they start to ro- roll around. And as they roll around and get heated up, what happens is the starch begins to convert to sugar, much like wine or or even tobacco when it when it ferments. Mm-hmm. And when that process happens, um, that's when your coffee roasting begins. That's called first crack. So there's first crack and then there's second crack. Second crack is when the bean is going to start to burn. That's when it, it literally like the bean will crack because it's been roasted so much. And most of our stuff is brought right almost the second crack because we like a darker roast profile. But anywhere in between that first crack and second crack, which is about a half hour to 45 minutes, depending, is your what's called your roast profile. So that's where you get like your light, medium and dark roast. Or you could go into like what's called a city roast. A city roast is, is uh, similar to French roast or Italian roast. It's pretty much what Starbucks um, standard is, is a full city roast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just I, we just kind of learned that learned trial by fire you know, with that and and started developing that as a business. And it's really been, it's really been doing well. I mean, we need great coffee and great response from it.
0: And that's called Youngstown?
1: Yeah, Youngstown Coffee Company. That's where I'm from is Youngstown, Ohio.
0: And talk about the rosé business, because I started drinking a little bit more rosé because I know that yeah. you talk about it so much. <laughs> and it's not your rosé yet. I haven't tried it yet, but... Just talk about the whole rosé business and um, what, how that's different from all your other businesses.
1: So the wine business is a funny one, and, and the rosé one is in particularly funny because people don't generally necessarily equate rosé with, um, with anything. You know, people think of, of whites for by the pool or whites pre-dinner, red is with your steak, and rosé gets kind of like a bad rap. And a lot of people think that it's sweet. And the original, uh, the story that I like to tell all the time is the Sutter Home story and how they invented white Zinfandel. So Zinfandel is a red grape and it's used, and I could back up a little bit. So for a wine to get its color, it has to sit on the skins and the stems and, and the seeds and a white wine doesn't do that. All grape juice is clear. So a red wine, the must sits on the, the skins and, and the, and the stems and all that stuff um, as it's fermenting. And that's how it becomes red wine. Well, they were making regular red Zinfandel and somebody broke a pipe before the wine was done fermenting. And it started leak, leaking pink wine all over the ground, and somebody decided to taste it. So it's halfway fermented mistake wine that became white Zinfandel that everybody thinks is rosé. That's not actually what rosé is. Um, as you as you probably know, you've had plenty of, of nice dry rosés. Rosés are supposed to be bone dry, have a real like real nice bubblegummy kind of nose with a almost tastes like raspberry a little bit of cherry, but it's just, it's like a, it's like a Pinot Noir light generally is what I like to say. Um, so it's been a very uphill battle with, with trying to get um, our kava into people's hands because you kind of have to taste it to believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so with rosé, our rosé is a hundred percent Pinot Noir grown in Barcelona, Spain. Um, it sits on the skins um for eight hours um and that's what gives it its pink color a lot of people cheat with rosé also they'll 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 make they'll make a white wine two-thirds and they'll top the the final third with red wine and then hence it becomes pink um Um, but but ours is real um it has about eight grams per liter of sugar which is which is dry um for a rosé sparkling rosé and it's done in the traditional method or uh, meaning that it's riddled uh, to get out the yeast and sugar. Um, so it's done exact, everything that that goes into the kava that we have is done the exact same way that they make champagne in France and champagne France. Uh, hence the, that's how I get the kava designation. Um, and that's what the way that I wanted it, but I also wanted it to be super affordable. Um, so it retails for about fourteen ninety nine. Um And I do that with with my friends at Treasure Hunter Wine Company. He's been a friend of mine for years. He helped me start La Barba, Um but we do that project together. We're in about 13 states now, and and that's another you know that's another hard hard business to be in. You have to feed on the you know boots on the ground and and beat the streets for that business as well. So it's been a, it's been a long couple of years, to say <laughs> the least.
0: Imagine so now getting to a- La Barba. So what year did you launch La Barba and what was and could you recall what that first year of running your cigar company was like?
1: So I launched La Barba in 2012 and I launched it basically out of my garage. Um, I got 500 boxes of cigars and a bill and then just started making, just started cold calling people. You know, I just was on the phone. My dad's been in business long enough to, uh, to have known some people that were gracious enough to to give me a chance. Um, And I just, I did everything myself. You know, I ordered the bands, I ordered the boxes, I blended the cigar, I made calls, I shipped, I did credit card processing. I kept an inventory, you know, I did all that myself. And then, That first year was really rough because I would get an order for you know, I'd have to pay the the bill for the cigars in you know thirty days, but I had like customers that weren't paying me for sixty days, and you know I had to I had to take out I had a life insurance policy that I cashed in (laughs) to to keep it going. Um, So the the first the first years two years were really tough until. Um, I had a a sit down meeting with Robert and I told him my frustrations and how it was going. And he, he said, why don't we just start a, I also had to pay Ohio OTP tax on everything that landed into Ohio, which at the time was 17%. And then anything that I shipped out of state, I had to put on a report that I sent out of state to get a credit for my next cycle. So, I was always, my cash flow was a huge problem because of of, of that as well. So, I was always paying the state money only to get credit back if I sent cigars like to you in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Then I would get, I would eventually get the tax money back. But that took another, you know, how the government works really quickly. That took another 70 or 80 days for me to end up getting that money back. So, I had a meeting with Robert and we just um, hashed out. You know, he was in Miami distributing his own cigars at the at the time, and he said, "Would you like to be involved in in a distribution company to distribute your cigars from Miami? We would have, all the cigars would come to one central location. We could share a sales force. We could share um, logistics in the office. We can share our office manager." Um, And that's how the the down and back portion of Robert's business got started. Um, And then later on, you know, Matt came and and we helped him um, with the same kind of of thing. Um, And that's how this whole kind of thing got started.
0: So what's been your favorite part about being in the cigar industry? And then what's been your least favorite part?
1: My favorite part? of the cigar industry is all of it. I think that um, the thing that I really love about it is how it brings people together, you know? And my dad kind of taught me that at an early age. Like, you never know who you're at the cigar store with and everybody, it makes everybody equal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a great equalizer. You could be sitting down at a cigar store next to, you know, a guy that works paycheck to paycheck, a billionaire, a firefighter, a policeman. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters is that you guys are together smoking cigars. And I think that that's, that's what I love about it. It's a, it's a great equalizer. There's no pretense, you know, involved in enjoying a cigar with somebody. It's also a great social tool. You know, it's a good reason to get together. That's what I love about the cigar business. Um, I met you because of the cigar business and we've become friends. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of my friends I've met because of the industry. And there's a lot of great people in this industry. And I think that that's, that's what it's about. And it's about the, the camaraderie ship and, and all of the, the things that we have learned and became friends with over, over the period of time that we've been in it. Uh, the thing I hate about the cigar business is flying from Youngstown, Ohio, To Nashville, hopping in a car, driving five hours to stopping in Chattanooga, then going back to, you know, Nashville, then going down to Charleston. And these are all day trips. You know, I'm in a car for seven, eight, nine hours a day. Then I have to do a six hour event. Then I fall asleep, and then we wake up at seven in the morning and drive five hours to the next city. And do the same thing. And I remember specifically in my first couple years on the road, I, I woke up in a hotel room and I was so scared because I thought that I was going to wake up. The hotel I stayed in the night before was in Atlanta, Georgia. And the hotel I was staying at the next night was, was in Athens, Georgia. But I woke up thinking that I was going to have, the, I, I was in a different bed facing the wall. And the night before I was facing a window and I woke up and I didn't have any idea where I was. And I walked outside and I still didn't have any idea where I was. And it took me about 20 minutes of waking up to realize what city I was in, because I had been in 10 days. I was in 10 different cities, you know, um, trying to trying to sell cigars and do events and meet people. And it's just that part of it. And I think that day, that year, I spent 225 days of the year traveling. And that was the most grueling thing that I've ever done in my entire life. And I was, at that time, I was 28, so I could I could do it. But now at 38, there's no way. I don't think I can do that again. It, it saved my life.
0: It's funny, because I think the pandemic kind of showed a lot of people in the cigar industry that the travel aspect is the one aspect of the cigar industry that nobody was, like, really enthusiastic about. They knew that it was important, but it was like you saw so many people who who were constantly on the go like kind of relax. and was like this is kind of nice not having to be on the road so many days out of the week, so many days out of the, the year and to be able to yeah for a little bit. So it was like the whole industry got a nice reset for, for two, a year and a half or however long it took people to finally get back out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it saved a lot of lives too, you know. I was on the road and- And when you're on the road and i feel bad for sales guys you know because you know i'm you're on the road and you're stopping for you know what a burger in and out it's not like we're at morton's steakhouse every night you know smoking cigars having a good time it's like you're eating a a cheeseburger in the car and i remember the first two years i probably gained 60 pounds Uh by just living on the road um So I think it saved a lot of a lot of lives and a lot of stress for a lot of people.
0: Well, what does it take to actually get traction in this industry? Because I think a lot of people think like you know they're gonna launch a product and it's gonna catch on maybe a couple months or a year or whatever. What's the reality of that?
1: The reality of that is all about relationships and you have to have them with your customers or you're never going to make it. You have to have it with your customers as, as your retail customers and your end consumers. And that's the most important thing. And you have to go out and you have to do it. You have to be in person and you have to be present and you have to answer, you know, my phone, if I get a text message at two 30 in the morning, there's a problem with something in my cigars, I have to answer it. And that's, and you have to have tenacity and you have to, you have to have grit and you have to get out and do it. Um, and that's, you know, that's the key, I think, to, to, to trying to, you know, it took me a very long time to, to get my business where it is. And it also took me a very long time of, of being on the road and doing that to get to a position where people trust me and trust my brands and trust that I'm gonna deliver a product. And that's the other, that's the other thing. You have to start with a great product you know, and starting with a great product is beyond the, the first thing you have to do. And then the second thing is you have to get in a plane, get in your car and just go shop to shop and meet the guys and, and get them to believe in your brand and get them to believe in you because you are an extension of your brand. And, um, and then as far as keeping a, your brand relevant, um, you know, you don't always have to, to have new releases and you don't always have to have new stuff. Um, but you have to engage with your consumers and you have to engage with your customers and, and make them feel like they're safe in your hands.
0: Now, recently you announced that you were going to launch sort of a new company or a new project. I don't know what you want to call it, but Bellotto Premium Cigars. Is that it? Yes. So,
1: yeah. So, so how did that come about? So that was, you know, basically a fireside chat with my dad. And it was just, you know, we've been in this business for so long. Um, you know, La Barba, there there was a lot of partners, not a lot, but there's partners in La Barba, and you know, there's uh, there's a certain direction that La Barba is going in, and I would like to keep that the same, and I'm going to. There's still gonna be releases from La Barba. Um, in the future and the barbers quality control still maintained by me. But, but the Bellotto uh, premium cigar thing happened, you know, fireside with my dad. And, and he said, let's do something together. He He's retired from the stores now. And um, he said, let's do something together and we'll, we'll kind of use my relationships in the business that I've had for so long and pick some factories and, and do some fun stuff and kind of bring it all back to, to where it started, which is, you know, a family business and family and friends business. So that's the direction that Bilotto Premium is going to go in. Uh, the first cigar that we're going to release is going to be, uh, it's called Knockaround. It's a um, price point at $7, $8, and $9 MSRP. It's a cigar for everybody. Um, there's going to be Habano, Connecticut, Maduro, and that. Um, there's Bilotto Edition, which all of those cigars are tobaccos that have been very important to me and my dad growing up. Uh, we're trying to do a, my dad has been a huge fan of Cameroon his whole life. So Cameroon is very expensive. But we're trying to find real Cameroon for that. We've also been, my dad and I have been huge fans of Broadleaf, Connecticut Broadleaf tobacco. So the addition is going to be kind of our our favorite stuff that we that we have um, grown up in the industry with. Um, that's addition. And there's uh, a couple other things that will be coming through the pipeline. In the future, but that was kind of the antithesis for the Bellotto premium cigars is going to be uh, primarily my dad and I working on stuff still distributed by Robert um, with from down and back, but a uh, completely new kind of take on, on, on everything. So it's going to be fun.
0: Tell us a little more about your dad, because when I read the press release about the new Bellotto premium cigars. I know that you emphasized that, you know, you wanted your dad to be a part of this a little bit more than he was in, in your other businesses and uh, LaBarba. So just tell us a little bit about who he is and then kind of like what he kind of talked to you about business and, and life in general.
1: Well, when I started LaBarba Cigars, my dad told me I was crazy. <laughs> It'll never work. It'll never work. So it took me 10 years to get him to believe in, to believe in it. But he finally does. Um, no, but my dad always taught me that, you know, like, like I told you about building the business, that's how my dad's always been, you know, be honest, work hard, and have a great product and build relationships. And those are, those are the the cornerstones to everything. But yeah, it took him 10 years and and seeing that I can actually do this, uh, to, to want to jump in the pool with me. He had his own brand. Um, in the late nineties, well, he was an importer of a brand in, in the late nineties called Fittipaldi cigars. Um, it was Emerson Fittipaldi with a race car driver and my dad was uh, the, the importer and marketer and distributed for that brand. So he's, he's used to that end. Uh, and that didn't go so well. Um, but I think he had a bad taste in his mouth uh, about that at the beginning. So now that he's, now that I have kind of a track record, now he's ready to put his you know, hat in the ring and, and, and do some cool stuff. My dad's always had a different palette than me, so I think it's fun to, you know, get different cigars and try them with him and see what his, his, his input is. Um, with La Barba, always, I'd always just give him, you know, the finished product, and, and he would tell me whether or not he loved it or hated it. Um, but, you know, this this project is a little bit more, he's a little bit more passionate about it, a little bit more hands-on. Um, so, you know, combined, it's, you know, we have almost a... 80 years combined of uh, tobacco blood in us. So um, I think it, it, it's really going to prove itself in, in the products that we come up with.
0: Well, I know you're probably at, excited about, because I've seen your dad at trade shows. So I know that he's oh, yeah. very lively. He likes to be in the middle and the thick of, of it all. So I'm sure that he's probably just as excited as you are about, you know, getting involved, but at the same time, having it be your thing as well so he can kind of come in and out as he needs to
1: right well that's exactly the point i'm gonna i'm gonna do most of the work and he's gonna do the most of the handshaking and drinking and smoking and stuff so which is great which is great that's what he wants to do now that he's you know he's like me he retired to start a new business right mm-hmm. so um but you know when i when i walked in here today uh, i'm had i'm on vacation at his uh he has a house down here and we're at his country club getting ready to have dinner. And, uh, when I, when we walked up, he was already, there was 10 guys around him all smoking cigars and they were drinking and, you know, all, all these mugs that come down here and all of his buddies. So I think he, he's really enjoying that aspect of, um, you know, joke telling and try to try the new stuff that I got going on. And they're all really excited cause they're all old too. And, uh, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to walk in and see that, you know, I, Cigars aren't always, you know, really accepted at a lot of places. Right. But my dad always always makes enough friends when he goes places to kind of carve out a niche. So we get always get put in like the cigar guy corner of all these places. You know, this is a uh, which is where I'm at right now. Um, and my those guys are still over there. But it's kind of you know it's fun to see, you know, all when we go places. What well, my dad has managed to to carve out where we're allowed to sit and smoke cigars and be out of everybody's way. They can complain. Um, but that's, it's just, that's, that's who he is. You know, like I said, like you said, you met him before. He's a cartoon character and he just brings life everywhere he goes. And I think that's important. I think it's, I think it's, he has 50 years has earned the right to have his last name on, on a cigar, um, it's not. It's not for me to have my name on it. It's. It's. It's his. It's for him to have his name on on a, on a cigar, and I think that that he deserves it, and I think that he, he should be proud of it.
0: I'm not sure he will be. I mean, like I said, and for those of you who haven't seen the press release, I mean, it's worth reading because it definitely kind of gives you a lot of insight into like where you're going to take this. So, I'm interested to see where you take it, and then where Barba kind of goes because it seems like it'll be two different tracks. Uh, two different, completely different products.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely different. So it's it's fun. It's a fun. It's a fun endeavor. You know, we went into when you did the article for, for us uh, a couple years ago. There was, and I believe you can you can still find that online, right? That the article yeah, that you
0: Because that
1: goes that goes really deep into, uh, into the relationship with my dad and all that stuff. We had we had some fun with that article, so. Um, Yeah, that that dives a little deeper into all that.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I just think it's interesting because you, I mean, it's like you and Robert and Matt Booth, like all kind of defined this kind of boutique category uh, as it is now. Um, You know, and I think you, you all put your personalities out there in front of it. You just don't put the product out there. So I think yeah. it wouldn't work if it was just here's a product and nobody knew anything about you all. Like when I think of La Barba, I think of our times that we've had together. And yeah, and when I see anything that uh, Robert puts out, I think of, you know, the conversations that we've had and you know how frank he is. <laughs> yeah. And how he doesn't hold back. And when I think of Matt Booth, I think of how playful. You know, he is. So it's just like, I think it's a good example for those people who want to start a business about not being afraid to put yourself out there a little bit. Because I think when you first start a business, you kind of, some people are afraid of, you know, mixing up the product with themselves. I think there's a lot of value to that.
1: I, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, you can't, you always have to be yourself. Like I said, if you have, if you have the product and you're yourself. And you're going to attract people, other people that are like that. That's how the three of us are. You know, we're, our personality is going to be different between me, Robert, and Matt. We have three completely different personalities, but we're drawn to each other because of cigars and we have this friendship. And it's, it, it stands the test of time, but we, we're all alpha guys and we all know who we are and we're all proud of it. And I think if you're like that, then you could go to the moon. And I think that you just need to be confident enough in yourself and just kind of, you know, don't dip your toe in, just jump in the water, you know, and and, and be yourself and, and be proud of it and be proud of your product and make a great product.
0: Yeah. And, and what's your approach to marketing your product? Because I know you're not the type who feels like they need to, like, advertise in certain magazines or have web banners and all this stuff. And yet there's a lot well, of people. I can't afford it. <laughs> well, but well, if you could afford it, would you do it? Do you think it'll be that helpful?
1: No, I, I, I mean, i I might, but I don't, I don't think so. I'd, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather take you out for a nice steak dinner, you know, and spend money on, on developing my relationships personally with, with people. And I think that that's, that's money well spent. And I think that that's, um, that's where we need to put our energy and our effort is into taking care of our customers. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the most important thing. And, and the, the second part about marketing, you know, we, it's all, everything is very different. You know, we have lost and Found, we have La Barba and now Blotto, and they're all completely different visually, you know, and I think that it would be hard it's hard to put our personality into a box and therefore it'd be hard to put our personality onto a page. I think, And I think that's the, that's the key to it. You know, um, it, it, I just don't think, does that make sense to you? Like it, it, it just yeah. be hard for me to, to express how I am and how our brands are on a, on a, on a sheet of paper.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of, I mean, working on the media side of the industry, I see a lot of companies, struggle with that because it's like, what's the message? You know, like I said, how do you you portray that message in a flat 2d, (laughs) you know, kind of way and come up with something catchy to say and, you know, just a few words and with a nice little headline and a nice picture. And it's just, it's very hard to do.
1: If you could think of a way to do it, let me know, because I am open to suggestions.
0: Well, no, I think from, from my experience, seeing all these podcasts that have emerged over the last couple of years, seeing how video now is kind of going to the forefront, you know, a couple of years ago, everything was about Facebook and Instagram. Now everything's kind of shifting over to video stuff, you know, TikTok and YouTube and stuff like that. I mean, it's a completely different experience. I think people want to actually hear from people like you. They want to learn about the brand. I know when we did that 2020, interview for the um, for Deep Cuts, I know afterwards it was like several people were like, you know, I've heard of La Barba, but now that I, I heard from Tony himself and talking about it, you know, I want to learn more about this. You know, there was one person wanted to know more about your wine stuff. And there was right. one that wanted to know about your actual product. And I think that goes a long way. And, and I just think it's a completely different format of marketing that maybe the industry hasn't really caught up with yet.
1: I agree 100%. And and there's cigars, you know, cigars are born from stories. I mean, every, you know, like, think about the greats in the industry, like Lido Gomez and Carlito Fuente and Mm -hmm. and Ernesto Carrillo. Like, these guys, these legends, but their stories, you know, I've I've sat with these guys and heard their stories. And to hear their stories completely changes everything about how you look at this industry. You know, to hear... And I think that that's so, that's so important. And I think that this, like what we do here is, is, is a great way to to tell those stories and to get that out there. So people understand what it is we do, you know, it's not, it's not really just a bunch of dried up leaves. It's a lot more than that.
0: Exactly. I mean, I was on Facebook the other day and there was somebody from the industry who was, you know, making a comment. They said, you know, the industry is just is about the product. It shouldn't be about the stories. And I kind of disagreed with that because to me, when people start hearing stories and they start seeing the faces behind the brands then it completely transforms their relationship they feel like i want to support Tony because i know that he's a good guy it's not just you know making this money and then running off and buying a yacht with it <laughs> <You know>? right <laughs> so they they, they want to they want to know these these brands but there's just not a lot of places to go to learn beyond like a story event but even with a story event i mean is it's hard because it's not gonna reach a lot of people once you leave that door, unless it was videoed or something like that, that experience kind of stays there with those people. Right. You have to rely on them to share it. Um, well
1: I think they do and I think it t- you know it touches consumers to do an in store event When you have a you know a round table some guy smoking cigars and you explain your story and the cigars, then they know, you know, it sticks with them and then they tell their friends and then then they make their own stories. And then, you know, I've, I've done events and gone places where, you know, I'll tell a story or something and then I'll come back two years later and somebody else will come up to me and be like, Oh, you know, I, I smoked a La Barba cigar with Joe Schmo six months ago. And he told me the story about how, you know, you did this or you did that. And, that's why I really fell in love with your cigars. And I think that that's sort of old school, it's like old school viral marketing. You know what I mean? Like one person at a time.
0: Yeah. But I think because people now don't have the patience to wait for that to grow. It it, is not seen as valuable, but people don't see it as valuable because they want like instant results. You know, they want to build a website and they want people to come to it instantly and buy stuff from it and they want to release a product, have it sell out, you know, within a week, so they can Let's move on to the next project or whatever. And it's, you know, the theme of this year's Deep Cuts discussions have mostly been about patience and how people have to, you know, they have to work on their patience in order uh, to get success.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's taken, it's taken us like I said, it's, it's my 10th year, it's my 10th anniversary, and um, patience is definitely a virtue, I must say. And, and, and I think you've, you've known me for, what, five years now, probably, somewhere around there? And, mm-hmm. and, you, and, and you know how, what it takes. I mean, you've seen it. I mean, it yeah. just takes those, it takes patience and it takes, you know, uh, Ricochet Connecticut's coming out. It was supposed to come out three years ago. You know what I mean? I mean, now, it's been three years I've been trying to release this cigar. So if that gives you any t- tantamounts of what kind of patience you need to have in this industry, you know, it's... But when it, when, it, when the cigar is coming, it's going to be perfect. And, and that's that's another thing that I strive for.
0: Yeah, it's like I was working on a story today and the uh, cigar, the person I was writing the story about was talking about how he wanted to make an ultra boutique cigar and he wanted, you know, and he started his company back in 95 and he focused on very short limited runs, but that would allow him to always put out good quality without having to compromise. And this just a completely different business mentality because you think a lot of people want to go big with their business as big as they possibly can. But it just made like, once you hear his story, it makes a lot of sense because Tobacco is not, you know, you're going through different crops, so it's going to change, and it's just not unlimited. Um, it's not a mass market product like a cigarette. Cigarette, you, you do want it to, it to stay the same because you just want people to come back. Right. But a tobacco product like a like a cigar is completely different.
1: Yeah, when I was I was on Coop's show last week, and he asked or a couple weeks ago, and he asked me, you know, he said why, or was I don't know. I've done like a lot of these the past couple of weeks, but they asked me um, why did it take so long to only have like La Barba Red, La Barba Purple and the two Ricochets. And it's because I don't, I don't, I don't want to compromise and I want to build a solid core line and I want to make sure that those cigars are what you expect out of La Barba. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, the, the cigar needs to not only be perfect for me, it needs to be perfect every time, and that's why it took me so long because it's like I, I need to – purple evolved seven or eight times over, over the course to get to where it is now. You know, different, we started with different wrapper fermentation techniques. We start – you know, sometimes with the wrapper that we used, part of the cigar would go out, or sometimes it wouldn't burn correctly. And just making sure that that cigar is exactly the way it was took six years you know five or six years and the same thing with the current lineup we have i mean that the attention to detail that we have to have is incredible because you don't want to put out a bad a bad product i just don't i don't want to do it
0: and it's not worth it in the end it's not worth it they have like 50 products going anyway because all 50 of them are not going to sell at the same rate so you'll have a whole bunch of stuff on your on your end to kind of deal with
1: Right, and how, and how do I make sure all 50 of those cigars are are right or, or perfect,
0: you know? Um, one thing we didn't talk about last time you were on Deep cuts was Lost and Found. And I know that there's a lot of stuff with Lost and Found that always comes out, but people don't always get, they don't know the story behind how Lost and Found came about, and then like what the focus, I know the focus is you know, on these different initiatives, charitable initiatives, but Did you just talk about Lost and Found? Like, what is it? How did it come about? You know, what's the goal of that whole line of product?
1: So Lost and Found started basically out of a pure love for cigars. And when Robert and I became friends, Robert was, as he does, um, was traveling all throughout South America, Pan America, Dominican Republic, Honduras, Nicaragua. And he would always, and you know, Robert, but for the people that don't, when Robert sees something he wants, he just goes and gets it. So he would, he would walk in a factory and go, what is, you know, what, what is that cigar over there? And they would go, oh, that was, you know, something and he'd be like, and he would just grab it now I'm going to smoke this <laughs> or we go over here and grab, it. I want to smoke this. And he started smoking these cigars and he would call me from down there and he would be like, this is the cigar's unreal. And I'd be like, well, what is it? He'd be like, well, it's, it's from like 2002 and the guy went out of business or they discontinued the line, but they, they kept aging the cigars. Or, you know, when they commissioned a limited edition, it could be anywhere between if, if they com- like a limited edition of 2,000 cigars, they have to make sure they have 2,000. So they'll make maybe 3,500 or 4,000 in case some don't make the cut. Mm-hmm. Well, if the initial two thousand make the cut, the other two thousand go into an aging room somewhere and get lost like at the end of Indiana Jones. you know that 's what these places are like. I mean, you walk through these factories and they th- these guys have cigars from the nineties the eighties there's cigars everywhere, so he started sending me the cigars, Rob did, and I would smoke them, and I was like, "We need to get these cigars to the people so that 's where we came up with. Uh, the, the concept of it, At the time it was called Impromptu But somebody else had the trademark So then it was Bellotto called Will Sears And eventually lost and found When we actually figured out the name um, But it was Literally just these great cigars That we wanted to get to people And then from there it evolved into Kind of a weird phenomenon That we didn't think was going to happen Where I saw on an original The pepper cream soda Somebody was selling it on the secondary market For $150 and we were amazed at this, that this was happening. Um, and then the, the progression of that brand was, was interesting because Rob and I had always talked about giving back and that was a big, it was very important to us. My mother um, has her master's degree in special education. Um, Rob has always been a, a very charitable give back kind of person so we were sitting one night and we were like, why don't we come out with a couple of releases that that kind of give back to different communities? And that's where the give a fuck kind of initiative started. Um, the original ones that we did were... Um, the first one was initially... when It was going to happen later on. We were kind of planning it and we had to rush it. It was initially during COVID when... Rob called me and said, the line outside of the Salvation Army is like a thousand people deep at Camilla's house in Miami. So we went there and talked to them and said, if we do a cigar, will you guys be okay with it? And would you be okay with getting 100% of the the proceeds from that cigar? And they said, absolutely. And that was our first first charitable initiative. Uh, Since then we gave, and also during COVID, so in inner cities, um, with people that are less fortunate, when they sent the kids home to do virtual schooling, um, they had to have their own art supplies. Because usually when you go to school, you can share art supplies, right? You can have colored pencils and paints and stuff like that for art class. But when they sent these kids home to do the these things uh, virtually, they didn't have the those items or, the, or a means to pay for them. So we did another cigar that, um, I can't remember the specific ones cause there's been a lot of them, but we did a cigar for that, that, that gave school supplies to, um, children on the South side of Chicago. And then we did toys for Todd, or then we did the, uh, El Pavo, which each one of those packs sold, fed a family of four Thanksgiving dinner. They couldn't afford it. Then we paired with Toys for Tots um, and did the Chance Cigar. And then we did a 9-11 uh, Tunnels to Towers Foundation Cigar where we gave back to um, the Tunnels to Towers Foundation Impact uh, Victims of First Responders for 9-11. Um, and we still we're working with a company that does now that, that cleans up ocean plastic, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's, a big, it's a very big problem. Um, But that's kind of what we we like to do is give back for for that. Um, And now since the inception of Lost and Found, so Lost and Found is nine years old uh, this year. Uh, We started manufacturing cigars back then as well um, and aging them. So the stuff that we're coming out with now, uh, like Instant Classic, 22 Minutes to Midnight, uh, 15 Minutes of Fame, uh, those are all cigars that we produced back then and started aging. So there's kind of a loss of found manufacturing division now um, where we're making these cigars and putting them away for a very long time. Um, And then we have Antique Line that came out. And Antique Line is very, very old, very, very well-aged products that we have found that are in very limited quantities, but we found to be unbelievably good. Um, uh, and that's antique line that's, uh, authorized retailers only. I think we have 25 accounts is our max on that because some of the cigars are, we'll find a box. So they will be one of one and they're all numbered one of 20, you know, sometimes we'll only find 200 cigars or something. Um, so it's, it, and those are, those go back. Some of them are from 2002, 2001, 2000. Um, so that's the direction. We're not boxing and banding everything. That's the direction that Lost and Found is, is headed. Um, we're no longer going to paper bundle and unband things. Um, because kind of, a lot of other people are doing that now. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to get away from the copiers, if you will. So That's Lost and Found in a nutshell.
0: Well, I think it's a great initiative. Like I said, it's you all giving back and kind of challenging what people think of cigars because non-cigar smokers just think cigars are bad, but you're showing that you can actually do some good in the community with the cigars and give back to the communities that you're you're in
1: through these products. So And I always thought it was cool to think that you could, you know, our consumers that, that buy you know, the cigars can smoke the cigar and realize that they're giving back, too. You know, and that's another important component. You know, it's a... Lost and Found is always supposed... And it always has been a, a feel-good company. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our companies are supposed to be feel-good companies. La Barba Caldwell. It's supposed to be about having fun with your friends and having a good time. But Lost and Found, the whole initiative behind that was we're just having fun with our friends and messing around. With great cigars. And I think that adding that component to it even makes it more feel good where you can feel like, hey, you know, I really contributed to something that made a difference to somebody.
0: Yeah, definitely. As we come to the close of our hour together. Um, we need to ask our guests kind of two profound Oprah like questions to them to answer and tackle. So the first of those questions is Have you? Discovered your why or what motivates you to, and drives you to do what you do? My why? Uh huh.
1: My why, yes, I have. And it is to continue to not get attacked by that bird, <laughs> one. Um, no, my why is to continue to do things that keep my family and friends together and keep us in the same room together. Um, all any business that I do, that's that's the goal of it is to keep everybody together, friends and family always first for us. And you know, Rob and I used to laugh. We just, like we just like to do hood rat shit with our friends, and that's that's the way I want it to stay. You know, I never wanted to be we're not a we're not a real company, as I like to say. You know, we don't have corporate meetings. We don't have you know. CEOs or sales managers or any of that we're just real people that like real stuff and I think that's that's the why and I've discovered that and that's what keeps me going is is continuing to rediscover that through what we do
0: Um, the second question is somebody comes to you and they say Tony I know that you are a serial uh, entrepreneur you have all these different businesses going what's your advice to someone who wants to start a business? For themselves?
1: my advice to someone that wants to start a business for themselves is number one just go for it you know stop making excuses as as why would i do this and start adding why not like why not what i you know there's there's so many things and so many people have so many great ideas and they're just afraid to to jump into the pond and do it. And you really, I mean, it's like $300 to form your own LLC. Now, I mean, form your LLC, do it like, and keep doing it and work your ass off and it'll, it'll, it'll work, you know? And my advice for people that are starting out is, is also to never be the smartest guy in the room and to always listen. Um, for me, when I go to, when I go to things with other manufacturers that are very successful, or I'm in the same room with, you know, guys like Carlito or, or Lito Gomez or Ernesto. I keep my mouth shut and I listen because those guys know, you know, and I, I just, you know, even with, with, with Robert, I, I like to just sit with him and and, and, bullshit and, and listen to what he has to say. And, and take his advice and listen to his advice and then put it into practice. And I think those are the keys. And, and never be the smart. I don't know if I said this, but never be the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, always always be in a room with people that are more talented and more successful than you are. And if you're – you'll soak that up, you'll soak it up like a sponge and, and you'll start to learn from that. And then you know, you'll have your own business.
0: I think a lot of people have a lot to learn from you because, like I said, you're pretty – You just get out there and do what you need to do. (laughs) So I think that takes a lot of bravery because a lot of people aren't like that. Um, Well, i I to
1: add to it, it, for every, you know, for every one success, I've had 99 failures and that's, and that's fine. You know, don't be afraid to fail. Just, you know, pick your pick the pieces up and start over again and just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And then the things that work and, and the things that, you know, work for you um let them keep working you know is what I think
0: well, definitely. well before we sign off I'd like to give you a chance to tell people the different social media things that need to follow in order to keep up with you and your thousands of different businesses <laughs> and uh websites and stuff I know we have two of those on the screen but for those of people who are not watching can you just tell people what websites and what social media stuff they need to follow to kind of keep up with you and what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, social media, if you just follow me on Bellato on Instagram or, or look me up Tony Bellato on Facebook, uh, I, I share everything to to, to my channels as well. Uh, but youngstowncoffee.com is, is where you can get the coffee. Uh, three finger wine company is where you can order the Cava and then, La Barba Cigars website needs a lot of work. I don't even think Ricochet is on the website. So I am that's like on my list of things to do. But just ask your ask your brick and mortar retailer for La Barba Cigars I'll be able to point you in the right direction.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your vacation to come on today and to speak to me and uh Catch
1: up. Oh, I was, yeah, I was super. I was super excited when you emailed me and 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 ready to do it because we, you and I haven't chatted in a while, and I figured it'd be a good time to catch up. and And you got me on all relaxed and happy on vacation, and not you know in my snow covered house in Ohio <laughs> with, with with zero hours of sleep and and uh, and not being all tired. So.
0: Yeah. Well, you look well rested, and I hope you are uh, well rested for Vegas in a couple months when. Uh, it's
1: great
0: it up, isn't it? Trade show kicks off. Uh, I hope to see you there for sure.
1: Absolutely. I will let you know where I am at if it like I said, I, I haven't uh, got my booth assignment yet, so I will let you know. I'll let you know when I do that. It'll probably be the day before the trade show when I <laughs> when we do you know how we roll. So.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you in person and off the screen again. So I'll look forward to that. Um, so thank you again for coming on and thank you everyone who watched or who listened to this. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook or uh, YouTube or Twitter or listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms, just make sure you hit the subscribe button or the like button to be notified of anytime time we come out with new content. Uh, we have shows um, most every, at least one a week, but lately we've had two a week. So we have another two interviews coming up next week and we're already starting to book up for uh, May. So we have some very exciting uh, interviews coming up scheduled that just came through today. So I'm excited to announce those uh, later on next week. But, um, but yeah, but thank you for watching. Thank you for listening and until next time.
1: Bye. Thanks guys.